Good morning, everyone. Glad to see you on this Sunday morning. Hope you all had a terrific Thanksgiving time. Uh, let's turn together in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. I'll be starting with verse 1. We'll be working verses 1 through 6. Uh, the goal this morning, based on my study of Scripture, and as always, you know, just allow God to speak into your life what He will, but simply this, being aware that there are those contrary spirits at work in our world, and we're talking spirits that are contrary to the things of God, we prepare to recognize them and to deal with them. Here's a random statement to get us thinking this morning. What you don't believe is just as important as what you do believe. Does anyone here consider yourself to be spiritual? How do you feel about that? What if I were to tell you that the term spiritual can be a very dangerous term? In fact, what if I were to tell you that many atheists consider themselves to be spiritual? Listen to this uh, statement from Sociology of Religion. Rather than describing their spirituality using traditional religious terms, atheists would talk about how they found awe and beauty in nature, how they found awe in the birth of their children, how they found awe in their accomplishments, in their work, with no reference to the supernatural. Their interpretation, quoting Kokozan, their interpretation of spirituality, that there's potentially something outside of science, that there's something out there that's larger than themselves that has a hold on them but they don't see it as God so how is their spirituality defined a sense of awe sense of wonder that there's something out there that's bigger than themselves and it has a hold on them kind of scary watch celebrities describe their spirituality and you can get goosebumps off of this you know I'm spiritual I just do my own thing I don't know who God is I don't buy any any particular religious group or teacher or sacred book and, and that view is not just um, celebrities in fact many people even people who attend good churches will say the same thing and essentially what they're saying is this it's not the object of one's faith that matters as much as it's the sincerity of the heart. That it's not about who God is as much as it's about making a decent effort. It's not about God's goodness and glory, but it's about me and how I feel. You know, that wouldn't work too well in a marriage relationship if we forget that it's the object of the worship and it becomes about me and how I feel. You know, MTV goes to great lengths to understand who watches their programming. Uh, a religious leader had the opportunity to meet with the director of marketing and asked her to describe the spiritual nature of MTV's typical viewer, to which she said, oh, they're spiritual. Everyone who watches MTV is, is spiritual. All the young people are spiritual. They all believe in prayer. They all believe that prayers are heard and answered. And they all believe that there's a supernatural world beyond the normal world. They all believe that when they die, they will live forever and go somewhere else. To which someone else who had the opportunity to meet with this director said, Well, who do they think God is? To which she said, Great question. They have no idea. <laughs> so get this. Prayers are answered. 
I'm a spiritual person. I've had spiritual experiences. I'm going to live forever, but I have no idea who God is. And frankly, I don't want to think about that right now. So God, thanks for the warm, fuzzy feelings, but just don't get in my way, okay? Because it isn't about the object of my worship that matters as much as it's about the sincerity of my heart. It isn't about who God is as much as it's making a little effort now and then. It's not about God's goodness and glory as much as it's about me and how I feel. But what if in your sincerity, you're sincerely wrong? What if there's someone or something out there that's trying to convince you of something that may have a little truth in it, but it's only partially truth, like a half-truth? Well, a half-truth, you know, could be described as nothing more than a chocolate-covered lie. So what you don't believe is just as important as what you do believe, and that's what our text is all about today. It's all about what you do or don't do with the person of Jesus Christ. So we start with our text, chapter four, verse one. Dear friends, writing to believers, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. So John's writing here to affirm, he's writing to give some directive, but notice that there's a huge difference between spirits, plural, and the spirit of God. Last week, we saw in chapter 3, verse 24, how we know that Christ lives in us. And we know that Christ lives in us because the Holy Spirit is affirming that relationship in us. It's the Holy Spirit who affirms our faith. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to put faith in Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to obey God. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to love one another. But please, don't confuse Holy Spirit with spirits. What's John, what John is basically trying to do is to help us not believe everything that we hear simply because someone comes along and says, I have a message inspired by God, or I've seen a new vision. Because there are spirits at work whose primary purpose is to confuse the message and to get our eyes off of Jesus. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. It says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. What does that mean? It means Satan pretends to be the exact opposite of who he really is. Now, it goes on. It says, it is not surprising then if his servants, so we're talking about spirits that operate in spiritual people, in and through spiritual people. It's a red flag, it's a danger, right? They masquerade themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. In other words, they're liars, so they'll get the due penalty of that. That word masquerade interests me. Satan disguises himself, and so do those who do his Bidding. You know, it makes you wonder if perhaps there aren't really hypocrites in the church. There are just those who are pretending to be something that they're not, but they're really part of Satan's masquerade. And as such, they only add to the confusion of the message of Jesus Christ. Please don't throw out Jesus Christ because of all the pretenders, false spirits. But it's not enough to be spiritual because the reality is atheists are spiritual. Demons of hell could be called spiritual. 
You know, the Bible tells us that when Lucifer decided he was going to take control of the throne, that he had a mighty fall and one-third of the angels fell with him. Well, angels were created to worship God and in that to serve us. The word worship literally means to serve, to serve God, to serve us. But when they fell, all of that was flipped upside down. Now they're pretending to be something that they're not. They now serve Satan. They now serve Satan's mission. And we need to realize that they come in the name of sounding pretty good, spiritual, but their purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, which is essentially rooted in keeping us away from the one true God who made us with purpose. Okay, let's go back to verse 1, chapter 4, 1 John. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Look at those words, they've gone out. I mean, potentially that means that many of these spirits began in the church, but have left the church with some different message. Jesus talks about these people. He calls them wolves in sheep's, in a sheep's clothing. What does that make them? Well, it, it makes them part of the masquerade. And Jesus says, beware of them. What do they look like? They look like sheep. They, they smell like sheep. They kind of talk like sheep. Jesus calls his own followers sheep, so they look like us. They look like good church people, but they're missing it on one primary message, and we're getting to that message as we move through the text. One of the things that messes us up as believers is that we think about this whole idea of antichrist and, and false prophets is that when they come around, when they begin to move, that we'll immediately recognize them because surely everything they're going to say is going to raise red flags. But what John wants us to know is that 90 plus percent of everything they're going to say is going to be based upon truth. Okay, But it's that little piece that they add in there that messes it all up. What you don't believe is just as important as what you do believe. Think of this. Every time Satan tempted Jesus, and check it out in Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, the temptation of Christ there. Every time he began with three words, and those words are, it is written. What was Satan doing? He was quoting scripture. Satan knows the truth. It isn't a matter of him not knowing truth, it's a matter of him manipulating and twisting truth. Okay, so now we're going to be given a little litmus test to help us recognize these spirits, to recognize people who come into churches or leave churches, good sound churches, in order to promote some new truth or some new vision. But it's really a lie. It's really about confusion. So here we go, verse 2. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God not spirits, <laughs> every spirit, now this is God's spirit operating in the life of the believer, and this statement, every spirit's going to be used in two different ways here, okay? So, so this is about anyone who's claiming to have an anointing from God. How do you discern if they're really from God or not, okay? So every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ, and this is very important here, has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit, and now this is spirits that operate in conflict to Christ in the church, 
that does not acknowledge, that does not recognize and confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of, of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Where did you hear it? You heard it because there's good teachers who actually teach the Bible. Then he goes on, and even now the spirit is already at work in the world. So right away, early in church history, the spirit of Antichrist is working. You better believe the spirit of Antichrist is working now, but there will ultimately be a major Antichrist who reveals himself in some personality. It's all rooted in one question. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do they say Jesus is? That is the litmus test. Now, there are other ways to test a teacher to see whether they're truly from the Lord. I mean, does their message, is it confirming, confirmed with God's word? Not God's word plus, but can you find it specifically in the word of God? Does the speaker love the people he's talking to? Boy, we've had self-proclaimed prophets show up here to church with a message, and their message is always one just of hatred toward the church. Do they love God's people? Three, do they demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit? And four, does their lifestyle con uh, confirm their effort? But the most important question, according to John, is right here. Who do you say Jesus is? And we're not talking about just any Jesus. We are talking about Jesus who, for us men and for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried, and on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. And he ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will never end." That's the Jesus we're talking about. His name isn't Jesus and his last name Christ. No, he is Jesus who is the Christ. Jesus and Joshua are the same name. It's from the Hebrew name, Yehovah Shua. Yehovah Shua means the Lord is our salvation. We don't know exactly how to pronounce that name. We don't know exactly how that name is spelled because Hebrew scholars held it in such high respect that they refused to ever write it or speak it. So they only gave us the consonants. They didn't give us any vowels. That's Yehovah. Christ, well, that's the Greek Mashiach, which is Messiah, the long-expected one the anointed one. And if you put it all together, it tells us exactly who Jesus is. He is the Lord God who alone is our salvation, the anointed one who was long expected but has indeed come in the flesh. In fact, to sum it up in, in a twofold statement like what we see right here today, Jesus is God, one, two, come down. Now, some religious groups out there, they try to patronize Jesus by reducing him to nothing more than a prophet or, or a teacher or a good man. Wrong. It's like giving you 90% of the truth. Some groups will spiritualize Jesus, saying that he was the Spirit of God come down. But what they fail to recognize is the amazing thing about Jesus is beyond human explanation that he was fully God and fully man. In being fully God, he was willing to to become a man 
in order to live among us for a while, to live a life without sin in order that he might once and for all conquer the penalty of sin which has been held over the head of mankind since the fall of Adam and Eve. So if anyone has a message, but it misses it when it comes to who Jesus is, I don't care how good they sound, they are false spirits of the Antichrist. And get me now, I don't advocate any particular brand of, of church or faith, but I will say, beware of those groups out there. And those people have all sorts of nice ideas and even visions, but they don't get it on who Jesus is. You find a church, and there are many, that understand who Jesus is. Now, I could give you a couple of red flags, but we're working this text right now. So we need to recognize truth in who we say and who they say Jesus is. Jesus divides us. He even said he would do that. Back about the time of, of 9-11, right there, our, our nation was very confused with this problem of terrorism. And so many were coming to the conclusion that America was the problem and that if we would just become a kinder, gentler nation, that, uh, that we could have peace with these um, radical Islam groups. But what we couldn't see was that the attack on the World Trade Center was really an attack on Jesus. It was an attack on Jesus' followers, and it was an attack on Jews. So in an effort to help us become a kinder nation, the Interfaith Council in Chicago called all the churches together, and they featured a Muslim speaker. His primary message was all about tolerance and and how we just need to embrace and affirm everyone no matter what they believe. And then this big crescendo that led to a, a standing ovation and a loud chair was basically this. We need to get rid of everything that divides us. Oh my. There were some in that room that felt as though their hearts were being ripped right out of their chest. Because they knew that what he was calling them to do. He was calling them to deny Jesus Christ. And many leaders of the church that day stood in agreement, thus denying Jesus. Jesus is the one who divides the truth and the lie. Oh, it all sounded good. But remember, what you don't believe is just as important as what you do believe. And it's the object of our worship that matters most. How do you know whether a teacher is of the truth or of the lie? Who do you say Jesus is? You know, the answer to every question in Sunday school is Jesus. I mean, if you want to get the gold star in Sunday school, just say Jesus. I like the story about the Sunday school who one day after class, you know, what's gray, has a bushy tail, climbs trees, and, and eats nuts. Class was quiet for just a moment. Finally, a little boy sheepishly raised his hand. The teacher said, yep. And he said, well, it sounds kind of like a squirrel, but I'll go ahead and say Jesus anyway. Jesus is the answer, not just Jesus, but Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, it, who is God, come down in the flesh. False churches, false teachers will keep Jesus in their name, will keep Jesus in their literature, because it just kind of seems the thing to do, but they're not about Jesus. Just look a little deeper, and you'll find they're about someone else or something else. So the application right here is, what about you? Who do you say Jesus is? 
And now in saying that, how should that then affect the way you live? Please consider it. It's the most important question you will ask in your lifetime. Let's go on in verse 4. Remember, he's affirming those who are keeping their eyes on Jesus. He says, you dear children are from God. Emphatic pronoun here. That's how you know who Jesus is. He's saying, we belong to God. You are from God and have overcome them. Overcome who? Well, those who are on a mission to destroy the work of Christ, to confuse the work of Christ. But he wants us to know that our victory is sure, because look at this next statement. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Can we personalize that and say it together like this? Listen. The one who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world. Listen to it again. The one who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world. Let's say it together. The one who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world. God's spirit who is at work in you is greater than the spirit at work in the world. That's an amazingly comforting statement. You know, it's easy to be frightened in our world listening to talk radio, listening to people like Glenn Beck. I mean, what's Glenn Beck's purpose? Maybe create a little awareness, but if it's just stirring fear, shut it off. We don't need to be afraid. Okay, what's happening at the time that John's writing this letter is that Christians are being persecuted. Right now in our world, truth be known, Christians are being persecuted and even martyred in larger numbers than at any time in history. Places like Egypt and China. There's a 33-year-old pastor named Saeed Abedini who's been held in a cruel prison in Iran now for just about a year, a prison where very few will survive the term of their sentence. And Saeed's wife is very frustrated with our nation right now because in our recent talks about nuclear um, development in Iran, Nothing was said about her husband as if our country does not care that there's someone being treated cruelly and held against his will simply because of what he believes. But you want to know what gives people like Saeed comfort and people like his wife comfort, hopefully? It's knowing that the spirit of this world and the spirit of Antichrist may win for a time, but ultimately it is the Spirit of Christ and those who follow him that prevail. The one who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world. In the application, take heart, my friend. Be encouraged if your eyes on Jesus because ultimately Christ and his followers are the victor. I love John 16, 33. Jesus said, I have told you these things that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In the end, Christ wins. In the end, those with Christ win. Verse 5, talking about the spirit of Antichrist. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. So what's your viewpoint? Is it a biblical worldview or is, is it a worldly worldview? And we need to understand that the reason why so many in the world agree is because they're plugged into the same source. They're listening to contrary spirits. So when everyone else is saying, help yourself, we're saying, I need God's help. 
And when everyone else is saying it's a doggy world out there, we're saying, for whom do I need to lay down my life? And while some are saying I'm good enough, surely God better see that, we're saying, I need a Savior. In the verse 6 here, we are from God, following Christ, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So there are at least four ways you could respond to this message. You could say, yeah, I'm spiritual. You know, I don't know who God is. I don't know how I'm supposed to talk to God. I don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, I feel like a spiritual person, so I'll just do my best, and hopefully that's good enough. Or you could say, I'm superstitious. Well, I believe there's spirits out there, so I'll just try to keep the spirits happy. You know, I'll surrender to the spirits and pray to the spirits, even though I do not have a clue what they're up to or what their intentions are. Or you can say, well, I'm skeptical. Come on, there's so many churches. Why can't they agree? I mean, it, it seems kind of silly. It seems kind of naive, so forget the whole thing. You know, I don't need to pray. I don't need to figure it out. Besides, I'm a decent person. See, any of those sound like fair options, but they are options of the world, and they're all blinded to Christ. There's only one option. God is calling you to settle today. Who do you say Jesus is? And in that, how should that affect the way you go through life? It's more than just acknowledging him. Demons in hell acknowledge Jesus. So it's, it's more than that. But uh, it's about surrendering to him. It's about going public to him. Please hear what the Spirit is saying. Please hear what the Spirit is saying. So the first way to recognize the Spirit of Christ at work in a person's life is who do they say Jesus is? And there's a second piece. We'll give you that next week. But let's pray together. Oh, God, thank you for Jesus. We recognize Jesus as Lord and King, and we submit to him. We don't ever want to go our own way again, but we want to obey you and your will. We surrender to you. Fill us with your spirit. Empower us to do your will. In Jesus' name.